Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 738. Always do your best, because you never know who's going to see it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Sid Mead. Hey, Sid, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, absolutely. All right. Great to have you here. Sid Mead is a designer, an artist, and a futurist whose career spans five plus decades of creativity and vision. He started at the Ford Motor Company's Advanced Design Studio and then traveled the world illustrating books catalogs, and product design for a wide variety of corporate entities. He created architectural renderings from most of the best firms and then moved into the motion picture industry, where he designed and illustrated for iconic films. In 2016, the Visual Effects Society awarded Sid their top honor as Visual Futurist. His first love, of course, is transportation design, and Sid's art and design can be found around the world. His latest book, The Movie Art of Sid Mead, Visual Futurist, will be available this September 2017 through Titan Publications. His autobiography is in the works as well, titled A Future Remembered. This June, Sid will receive a Lifetime Design Achievement Award at the Eleanor Ford Estate in Gross Point Shores, Michigan, during the Eyes on Design Collector Car Show. So, Sid, I have told our listeners just a little tiny fragment of your incredible career. Could you take a brief moment, share a little bit more and a little bit about your passion for automobiles before we get into some of the questions? Well, the the whole idea of transportation is key because I think you can describe, let's say, lifestyle with three phrases. First one is, where do we live? The other one is, where do we go? And the third one is, how do we get there? And that's been true across the whole panoply of human existence, walking, animals, pulling carts, and finally the probably the most important invention of the 20th century, the internal combustion engine, and concurrent with that, the invention and production of the automobile, which completely changed the society and uh, is, is now one of the most complicated and the most marvelous things that you buy as a consumer. Absolutely. And being a car guy like I am, there's a, a certain amount of passion that goes along with that, just like all the Cars Yeah listeners out there. But your career has been integral evolving around the automobile. So before we get into some of the questions here, what drove you into that field? Excuse the pun. Well, I've I've been drawing cars since I was three years old. There you go. And I I was fascinated, I think, because of its mobility. You know, Daddy was driving, but my first car was a 34 Ford with a rumble seat and a 41 Mercury engine, flathead. So ever since then, I've been fascinated by the fact that, that cars technologically get better and better. My collector car currently is a 72 Chrysler LeBaron four-door hardtop, which was luxury 45 years ago. Now we have a Cadillac CT6 twin turbine. 
and you can appreciate by climbing in and out of both cars the the advances in suspension and and the whole experience of being in the automobile and operating it. It's a, uh, an incredible breadth of technological expertise. Yeah, magical device for sure. And I think a lot of people these days really take their cars for granted, the incredible engineering that goes into them, not to mention the design, of course. Fantastic machines. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying or a meaning that has something special for you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so Sid, take the wheel. Well, one of the things I tell these young kids is if you don't, they're starting out on their professional career. If you don't get paid, it's a hobby. So you can have a hobby, but that's not going to pay the bills. And continue to appreciate the marvel, which is the automobile. We live here in, in the West in advanced countries. The automobiles is, uh, is the transportation system of choice worldwide, hands down. The whole enthusiasm over mass transit, yes, and and so forth, but the automobile worldwide, if, if somebody can afford it, they've got it. Well, and it's so true. If it's uh, something that you're just doing for fun, you don't get paid, it is not a profession. So, But for those people that have figured out how to do it like you have, that's the magical elixir to life, right? Well, the, the getting paid to think up ideas, I envy greatly the guys that do this as their daily job. I moved on from automobile design in particular to getting involved in, in every single means of transportation, you know, in the current world from aircraft and, and interiors and ocean liners and super yachts and, and uh, even little snowmobiles and, and the, whole, the whole spectrum of how you move around other than walking and riding an animal. <laughs> so it's been it's been it's been a very satisfying and uh, fascinating job ongoing because you you get educated every time around as you encounter a different means of transportation and the people that do that for their professional career and their living and it's a continuous education. If you go into one field I've done uh, a couple of super yachts and dealing with naval architects and technicians and mm-hmm so forth and you get an education on how that field works and if it's just the one time around you sort of forget everything you learned that time around because by the next time you get engaged in the same uh transportation category it's changed and the people that do that for a living then give you your second jolt of education yes the same with aircraft interiors i've done three uh 747 interiors for heads of state wow and you work with the vendors, you work with the people that do that every day. And it's it's a fascinating upgrade each time around. Man, uh, you have a wonderful life that you've had been being able to get involved in so many aspects of travel. Absolutely spectacular. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. I want to know about that moment in time that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your life when you realize that you were a car guy? I think when I got my first car, as I said, it was a 34 Ford convertible mm-hmm. with a rumble seat. My brother was an in- intuitive mechanic, even in high school. 
So this convertible had been, well, it had the 41 Mercury engine installed, and it needed a new header bar, you know, that, that matches the top of the windshield. Oh, yeah. Well, back then, <laughs> we got a two-by-four and carved it to fit <laughs> and put the old metal pins back up into it, and it worked fine. Just, uh, just tack the canvas to the, to, the, to the top of it, and it worked fine. That's how simple things were. Yeah. And, you know, the distributor was literally a little thing that whirled around and made eight contacts in sequence, and then you connected it up to the right firing order on the engine. And you could you could do this fairly easily in your backyard, which everybody did, yeah. until solid-state electronics came along, and now you have to buy a couple hundred thousand dollar machine that talks to the car, the car talks to the machine, and you replace sub-assemblies. You don't place, replace usually just one little part. Right. So it's changed completely. Yeah, I have a nephew who is a mechanic like his father, and the difference between what his father did when he was rebuilding engines and what this young man does now, which is basically plug a car in, read a computer, and replace an entire component. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a different yeah. world. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. And it's because cars are, are sort of a commodity. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's not a lot of risk taken in how they look, because they are a commodity. I, uh, I, I'm just now the CT6. I'm driving my ninth Cadillac. Wow. And because I think the brand has reestablished itself as a world-class car. Yes. And the whole thing of, of, of having cars, it's just the, the fun of driving them. I still, like, I still enjoy driving this machine and a machine, mm -hmm. the old 72 uh, Imperial. Uh, when I bought it from a fellow in Michigan about seven years ago, it had just under 4,000 miles, original miles. Oh, my gosh. Long story. And uh, so that's why I bought it, because I had a new one back in 72, which was loaded, had everything, the sunroof and the, the whole whole list of optional equipment. Right. And uh, so I sold that to a friend of mine that uh, went to Germany for a parade car and pickups and weddings and so So the, one of this kid <laughs> told, told me he had this. I sent a friend of mine, retired Ford designer, up to take a look at it. And he said, you better buy this. So, wow, what a nice so find. Yeah. So now it's an old car. Now it's an old car. It has 12,000 miles on it. <laughs> <laughs> well... 45 years later. Keep driving it. Enjoy it. And you're right. Cadillac really has reestablished themselves. Yeah. I had a young woman on the show a few weeks ago who works in Cadillac racing division for the mm -hmm. cars they're racing. My mother-in-law just bought a brand new Cadillac. I have a cousin down in Carmel that just bought a brand new one and just spectacular cars. They just really reinvented themselves from the, the yeah. old, old days for sure. So. And we owe a lot of credit to Ed Weyburn who just retired. He was head of Cadillac. And uh, oddly enough, now this is a wonderful, wonderful curiosity. Mm -hmm. By sheer coincidence, my car, the CT6, was built on my birthday of July 18th. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So it's really kind of <laughs> apocalyptic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well that's very, very cool. <laughs> or apocryphal at least. At least, yeah, exactly. Very nice. I'll remind our listeners, I had a, another great past designer on the show here, Dick Rusin, who was the head of uh, Cadillac Design for some time. His is a great story about Cadillac and actually how the brand almost went down at one point in time because the uh, challenges that were being faced in the automotive industry. 
Well, Sid, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've had such an amazing career, but of course, I'm sure there's been times when things have been very challenging or even you faced a big failure along the way. But of course, the most important part of this question has to do with what did it teach you? So take us to one of those moments, kind of walk us through and then help us experience how that helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward. I was working at Ford. I worked there for about 26 months. So I graduated from from Art Center, went to work at Ford's advanced studio under the, well, Elwood Engel was the head studio head. So I'm working there. The salary back then, now this, I graduated with with distinction from one of the top design schools in the country. And the yearly salary was $4,000. And that was also the price of a new Cadillac back in, in 1959. Yeah. So I'm working at Ford, and I had a couple of uh, uh, go-rounds on on show cars and show car bodies and so forth, because that's what I was hired to do. I wasn't hired to do production design. So I took a month's leave of absence and cooperated with a small company in Chicago that did promotional literature. John Reinhardt, who had left Ford, gone to U.S. Steel as automotive marketing director for that corporation. They were trying to blunt the inroads of aluminum into the car industry. So they wanted a series of books that would celebrate the creativity and the marvelousness of of using steel instead of aluminum. So I created this book, first book, Concepts in Steel in 30 days I was paid by this small company in Chicago that had big accounts I was paid $10,000 for for 30 days of work oh, wow and and I thought well there's there's something going on here yeah. that doesn't quite match so with half of that I bought a 300 SL Mercedes-Benz Gullwing Coupe oh my uh, the lowest it ever the lowest it ever changed hands $5,000 in cash and so I thought, now this is rewarding me for being being talented and paying attention to the world and so forth. So time came. The company in Chicago had uh, invited me to lunch uh, downtown Detroit. And I knew I was going to quit Ford. So I quit Ford, climbed into my 300 SL, drove downtown, and my salary went from 4000 a year to 20000 20, a year, five times Holy an God. increase. Yeah. And that triggered my appreciation of being in a position to celebrate the whole idea of being creative and being creative in the the sort of the content of mobility and particularly automotive wow. mobility. Wow. So that was my moment when I said, aha, there's something going on here that I need to take take part in. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, what a what a move. So my next question about an aha moment, was that it? Is that how you evolved into that aha moment? That Yes. That gave me the turnaround of, you know, I'm on, I'm on my way here as a professional person. And then as time went on, I started my own company in Detroit in 1970 in October, full corporation. I just turned down both uh, a job with General Motors as a consultant to doing some renderings of their divisional activity. And Chrysler wanted to send me to South America to their studio in Sao Paulo, I believe, to be sort of an idea guy and a, and a representative of the corporate operation down there. So I turned both of those down. I had no clients, started my own company, and my first job as a, as my new nascent corporation was a 12-year account with Philips Electronics in Holland, 
a global company, and that's the whole the whole combination of those several events within about a year and a half of each other. I'm sorry, within about uh, eight years of each other, was really quite. Uh, that was my aha, spread over about eight or nine years. <laughs> yeah, those overnight successes sometimes take a little longer than overnight. That's right. Wow. Well, that's a that's a very very cool story. Fantastic, man. You must have uh, thought you'd uh, died and gone to heaven when you were offered that job where you're paid four times as much. It's like, whoa. <laughs> if you dial in on an inflation chart from then to now, twenty thousand a year. That now your buying power would be about one hundred and eighty, hundred eighty five to ninety thousand. Well, yeah, I was going to so, say. So suddenly, I had immense buying power. Right. At that stage in the dollar's worth worthness. And you were driving a gullwing. So, man. Yeah. <laughs> life. I had that for 43 years. Uh, fortunately, was able to take care of it. It's an elaborate machine, and it has to be maintained like high end. Right. If something goes wrong and you don't repair it, something else will go wrong, and it becomes a very expensive cascade of mechanical failure. So I had it painted from bare metal three times. So it's the only, only way you know how the what the body is like. Mm-hmm. And had a new interior put in, a new wiring harness, recent, more recent in its career. But 43 years having this incredible machine. So you know, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, that is a very special machine. Beautifully designed automobile as well. So yes. it fit your persona perfectly. Well, how about a proudest career moment? You've achieved many awards. You've done so many great things. Is there one moment that stands out for you that's very special? Walking around in the first 747 interior that I designed for the for King uh, King Fahad in Saudi Arabia, he's gone now. But to work with these guys, take a 747 interior and work with the fabricators, and then walk around in it when it's when it's all done. It's all your design, uh, at least the private quarters on board, and that was uh, that was very. That was thrilling to realize that I I picked up picked up the ball, worked with some experts who did that all the time, uh, talked to the vendors, went would fly down to San Antonio where the plane was being outfitted, and and walked through the the the, the bucks that were the design base, and then going over to the aircraft and walking inside, and then seeing it all done. And it was a that was a very that was a thrilling a sort of a design success. That that was it was mobility. It wasn't automotive, but it was a thrill to to realize that I could I could do this just by paying attention and knowing how to think, which I'd been taught in school. Wow! Oh my gosh, that must have been absolutely spectacular. Because obviously the budgets in those times and even today uh, were rather robust. So you got to do some yeah. very creative things. Very, very nice. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here. You talked about your first car, but I'd love to hear about your first really special car. And maybe it was that Gullwing, but take us to that vehicle, whichever it was, and maybe share a memory you have with that car. Well, yes, the Gullwing for sure. But that that's the only foreign car I've ever owned. Fortunately, I owned the right one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but my first real special car was a 1961 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. Now, this car, I've just finished writing my biography from birth to the fall of 1989. You mentioned it being available later this year. And on the page where I'm exploiting this car's picture that I have, I have it right above at the same same year make, uh, 220SE Mercedes-Benz hardtop. Uh, which did not have electric windows, by the way, even then. So 1961 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, 
fantastic car, sort of a light uh, metallic blue color, dark interior, and this thing had that, that skeg fin down the side from the front wheel well all the way to the back, and the low fins... Uh, and it was uh, it was one it was a beautiful car. I think it's one of the more beautifully proportioned American car designs ever. I think it competes right across the line up to the present. It is a really spectacular car. My father-in-law had one of those. He he was a Cadillac guy and had many Cadillacs over the years. And he always talked about. I didn't know him then, of course. That was way before I married his daughter. But um, he had pictures of that car, and I know the car very well that you're talking about. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't realize that bottom fin was called a skeg fin, which is interesting because I grew up a surfer yeah. in Southern California, so I know all about <laughs> skegs. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, absolutely spectacular. Well, I decided to make uh, there's the, that European word persang. Mm. And I said, well, I need something that makes this car really hot. So I bought four Lucas flamethrower headlights, <laughs> the, the ones with a little chrome button in the middle of the, of the clear lens. Yeah. And one was uh, two pencil beams, and then I bought uh, the other two on low beam were the flat beams that, mm-hmm. that go closer to the car. So I put these things, installed them, and was going to do a test run out on the out on the road that night after I'd put them in and sort of more or less aim them against the white garage door when the, the sun went down. So we're out on the road with a friend of mine, uh, a, G- a designer from, from General Motors, a friend of mine. And so we're driving along, and they come up behind a car, and I turned on the brights because I was going to pass them. Uh-huh. And suddenly everything went dark. Uh-oh. Well, I didn't realize the amperage flow to these four headlights. I mean, like 100, I don't know, 100,000 candle power each, something like that. The amp load was much, much higher than a sealed beam. And so I switched back, switched back to low beams, the, and the, the lights came on, and I took it to the Cadillac dealer and had them install a much more robust amp uh, uh, system. And then I took the two lower nacelles in the front, and which were meant for accessory driving lights, and had those lights put in there also. So I had a lot of candle power in the front of this car. I'm chuckling because I did a similar thing when I was in high school. I had a Carmen Ghia, and I wanted to put these high-intensity H4 lights that uh, they used in Europe in the Porsches because my Ghia was my poor man's Porsche, and put those things in, and first time I turned it on, all I could smell was burning wires. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Flipped that switch yeah, off really yeah. quick and went, okay, that's when I learned about relays and <laughs> things. So uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Cadillac, what a special car. Well, what about... The old seller's remorse story, the tear in the eye. Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage today? Well, other than the 300 SL, let's go back to American cars. One of the most spectacular cars that I ever owned, well, I was leasing it actually, but it was a 1967 Lincoln four-door convertible. Now, you, if you have one now, you have to have somebody who really knows how these things work because there's 18 sequential solenoids and limit motors, limit, limit switches that have to operate in the sequence. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You get trapped with it, with it lit up or the top down or something, and, and you're screwed. So, But that I would like to have, and I'd like to have the expertise to know how to fix it if the top, <laughs> if the, the trunk lid doesn't come back down after you put the top up. But that was an incredible car. I think it's one of the, when you think about, about the, the long throw of a four-door convertible sedan, it's, it is a remarkable 
of achievement for a consumer product. And of course, Ford also did the, the retractable Ford uh, hardtop with a little flap in front that unfolded to match the top of the windshield. And this was just a, a, a lying car. It wasn't a luxury car necessarily, but that was American engineering back then. And I think it was quite an accomplishment. Well, those cars were giant. I had a detailing business as a kid. And I had a client with one of those, and I hated waxing and polishing that car because oh, they were huge. It was like they a boat. I, I finally yeah. got the courage to tell the lady, "I need to charge you more for this because this thing is so <laughs> big. I mean, it's just giant." All cars are that big. My the '72 Imperial. It's almost 20 feet long, it's 19 plus feet, and and it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Housewife, if they could afford that kind of a car, that's what they drove to the to the market to get meat and eggs and and bread. You know, yeah, it's that, everybody. I mean, think about it. Parking that thing, <laughs> getting it around the parking lots these days with the little compact cars and stuff. You have to realize also that back then gasoline was about 30 cents a gallon. So the cost of filling the car up with gasoline that that was not the point. The point was, how far would the car, the car go in a tank of gas if you're driving for longer vacations? Like, people drove cars longer distances than they do now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I remember many a road trip from San Diego to Texas to visit my grandparents in our oh, yeah. Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. So, uh, yep. yeah, well, there you go. It's like Chevy Chase's uh, America Lampoon's Vacation movie. Only we didn't go flying off a cliff or anything like that. Oh, that horrible prop car. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that terrible? I think they started with a Ford station wagon or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what that square. was, but it was a mess when they were done <laughs> with it. So, absolutely. Yeah. Made a lot of eyes roll. Well, let's talk about today. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing right now. I, I realize uh, you're, you got this uh, new book coming out, which I can't wait to see. And of course, you're writing your autobiography. But what has you excited and, and thrilled today? Well, just being around, I'm 83, and we're still getting very, very active requests for involvement in a whole bunch of projects. I can't mention them because it involves uh, other make names, <laughs> and it involves the the uh, entertainment business. But that's keeping, we're still going. Wow. And the whole idea of, of being uh, solicited and being paid at, at my age after, you know, six decades almost of professional, that's, that's very, very enervating, and it keeps me uh, keeps me going and I go to the gym three days a week keep my physical you know muscle you. tone yeah. as as good as it can get at my age mm -hmm. and so it's uh, it's a, it's an excitement that uh, is sort of a reward for paying attention all these all these years <laughs> paying attention you know, you're my uh, father's age actually my father just turned 84 and he's uh, I mentioned in our pre-show chat he's uh, an architect and he's an artist and he still does his artwork every day paints and draws and loves mm -hmm. architecture when he can and, and it sounds like you two guys are kind of two peas in a pod because uh, the secret when you reach uh, a certain stage in your life, people always think of the idea or the concept of retirement. And I yeah, think that's yeah. a death nail for most people. It's staying it active. Is. Have a reason to get up. It sounds like you've got lots of reasons to get up every day. I know, uh, you know, a lot of the designers, managers that were in back in Detroit when I that I went to school with, and and they went to GM, I went to Ford, for instance, and their their careers were in those companies. And you go through twenty years, fifteen, twenty years, just telling thirty people what to do, and then you retire. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you do? And some of these people, they moved. The joke is, they moved to Palm Springs and wait, you know, uh, yeah. or Florida, or Florida. Yeah, and it. It's a it's a shame because they they're 
all that talent and that expertise, but it's a linear career and they don't know what else to do, right. literally. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're a great tribute to uh, how to live a long and fruitful life and uh, can't wait to see these new books when they come out. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Sid. I'm really anxious to hear how you answer this one. If Sid was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? I'd still be the Cadillac 1961 Coupe de Ville. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I think it's I think it's sleek. It's, yep. It was a, a big car. It's sleek. It had excellent proportions, and the front and rear matched the car design. I think my criticism of a lot of cars today, and it's across the whole size and, and mark uh, range, the car looks, the car doesn't match itself, front view, side view, back view. Uh, and I think that's because of the committee and the production design version or procedure in which they're designed. And the service development, we were taught very, very elaborate service development rules at school. And you, you, we learned how to, how to determine where the highlight lines were going to go, where the reflection lines were going to go, because the reflection reflects off the curved surface. And some of these cars now look like, like a dropped pizza. <laughs> First of all, they're not very big, 17 feet, something like that. Then you see them in perspective in the convoluted lines on the side of these things. It just, the reflections go everywhere. It looks like they've been in an accident and they're brand new. A dropped pizza. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to coin that phrase. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I would agree with you. So many cars I look at today, I just go, which committee you know, designed this one? It's just, mm -hmm. it's really depressing. And you go through a parking lot and everything just looks the same and so boring and Well, they'll come out of Fight, you know. Yeah, yeah they're commodified. Yeah, and I understand that. I've had plenty of designers on the show that talk yeah. about those restrictions and things they have to deal with. A dropped pizza, very nice. Well, I, I admire some of these guys are now putting up the government, uh, the DOT demands for structure in a car. Here's a here's a thing that is largely big, huge, gaping holes in it for the glass and the door openings, especially in four-door sedans. And so it's to, to make this thing, the new regulations, I think, when you drop this car from about 15 or 16 inches, it has to deflect almost zero. This is the whole cage. So you're building a, a reinforced cage right. with big, big holes in it. And I think that's what they do. Even inside, the knee to dash uh, crash inertia uh, ratings are specified also, so you don't go too far when the car stops. Right. And you don't. Yeah. And and the these guys put up with this and have to design around it and still come up with some, some pretty pretty sharp design solutions yeah. over the top of this very stringent series of requirements. Yeah. And I admire I admire that. I do too. I do too, exactly. Well sit up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom patterned for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. 
I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. All right, Sid, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? This is going to be funny. I was in high school. I was a junior. And I thought, well, I, I should be a little bit more sophisticated. So I went downtown. This is in Colorado Springs, Colorado, to the Arthur Murray Dance Studio. And I stumbled my way through a trial tango. And the, the instructor lady said, oh, she said, they, she said Sid, you're a, you're a natural. You should, we can start you right away. And it was going to cost about $200. That was a lot of money back in, you know, 56. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so for 50, 52, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So uh, I asked one of the senior guys the next day, Monday, in school. I said, I, I sh- should I do dance lessons or buy a car? And he said, oh, for Christ's sakes, buy a car. <laughs> it proved to be eminently good advice. Uh, yeah. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. That's great. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over these years? Solitary con- concentration with with distractions. I mean, distractions are all around us, but you have to have the ability to think inside your head. Even when you're doing something else, your brain works all the time, even when you're sleeping. And I've literally woken up in the morning and solved this, the problem that I told myself was a problem the night before. Because your brain will do it for you. You just have to let it work. That's what it's there for. That's a wonderful concept and my wife's always said that to me i'll uh i'll be nervous about something i'm trying to come up with an answer and she'll say well before you go to sleep lay there quietly and think about it just think about mm-hmm. it and exactly you're, you're right yeah. many times i'll wake up in the morning and go i've got it or in the middle of the night yeah. so i keep a notepad next to my bed sometimes the stuff yeah there you go is pretty weird yep. but uh <laughs> no, it's uh, the brain. The brain is an incredible part of us, and yeah. it is. It is. That's us. That's us. That's our personality. The body. The body carries the brain around. If you want to put it that way. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of great resources these days. But is there one in particular you're really fond of? 
Let's give him a free quote. Google. (laughs) In one word. (laughs) My son is smiling. He just graduated from uh, Rhode Island School of Design with a degree in uh, industrial design, and he got hired right away by Google, loves the company. I use it. We all use it every day. So what a resource. I mean, just imagine back when you and I were young having that at your fingertips, like well, when I graduated, we had magazine resource resources, and I still have large files of sunset skies and morning skies and building views and foliage, and because we, what I was doing, I was doing all these illustrations for architects and so forth, and I was producing for them essentially a fake photograph of something that didn't exist yet, and so I would use these the colorations on some of these uh, magazine uh, scrap you know, reference materials, because that that picture had already gone through the photographic process and the printing process. So I was duplicating the end product of that process in a painted picture. And uh, But now with Google, you know, I can download it and print it out on nice shiny paper. So I preserve the uh, the, the color and uh, it's it's an incredible resource. And they're going to own the they're going to own the world. They bought Boston Dynamics for the robots, mm-hmm. yeah. most advanced robot company on the on the globe. So uh, I don't know where they're going, but uh, well, they're going to own all the whole whole thing. <laughs> some of the things my son tells me that he can't tell me he's working on that sound interesting. Right. Yeah, they're they're just doing incredible things for sure. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be, Sid? Oh, well, I had lunch with Gordon Buick before he passed away, of course, uh, at the Green Restaurant in Gross Point, uh, north of Detroit, or I guess east of Detroit. He and his team, you know, they completed the cord, the, the famous cord Beverly and then the, the coffin-nosed roadster. And about with about five people in about 16 months, something, somebody's going to correct me in the automotive wow. field that has wow. historical bent. But I, had, I had, took him to lunch. What a wonderful, wonderful man. And just easy to talk to, and, and one of the iconic people in the auto design uh, history. Oh, fantastic. Great. I just started asking that question, and that's the first time that his name has come up in this uh, this last few months. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Now, how about a book? Other than, of course, the, the two books you're putting together now, and once they're out, I'm going to share those with my listeners. But is there another book that you could share with us that you're really fond of? Well, it has to do with working with corporations, and I had this 12-year account with Philips in Eindhoven, Holland. The design director, Knut Iran, he was Norwegian, a multi-multi-multi-millionaire, and treated me as a peer, and we successfully blended the, the relationship of being a client and a peer group friend, which is rare. And it's a very pleasant and wonderful associative kind of a, a thing to be involved in. And he recommended two books. This had to do with the hierarchical system of corporate organization. And one of the one of the books is Men in Groups, which is sort of a herd bull and the aspirant bulls are down in the two phalanxes back from the front row. And the other one was The Games People Play, which is a, a book on the psychological sort of techniques that people use to get what they want. Wow. And okay. those those two books, if you consume those two books, I have a third one, which is Theory of the Leisure Class by Thorsten Veblen. He was a, uh, an American social commentator and social social um, sort of observer. Mm-hmm. And if you have those three books under you, you can go into a meeting in any corporation and figure out who's the boss, who wants to be the boss, and who thinks they might get a chance to be the boss <laughs> down line. 
uh, you can you can stack the the meeting in terms of uh, who to appeal to. Wow. It's it's a very very useful technique and skill. I mean that combined with body language and you've yeah. got it down. You've done it, got it down cold. Absolutely. Well, those are three books that have not been recommended here. So I'm very appreciative that you brought those to our attention. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great resources on Sid's show notes page on the Karja website. Just type Sid Mead into the search bar. His page will pop up with these links. And there's a great place on the Karja website called Guest Recommended Books, where these three books and books from the past 737 guests are listed. I've got them set up for quick, easy clicks to buy. I'm going to get my hands on these three books. They sound very, very interesting. Thanks for sharing those with us. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Sid, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, money is no object today because I'm going to write the check. What would that vehicle be and why? It would still be the 300SL. Oh, okay. This car was done before computers. I mean, the, the tube chassis weighed about 185 pounds, something like that. And uh, a strong guy could easily lift it, or two guys. A remarkable car weighed 3,000 pounds uh, wet, so it's a ton and a half. The one I had was geared long. It would do 40 in, in first gear, 80 in second gear, 110 in third, and then you shifted to fourth gear. And a remarkable machine. The, the air and fuel were injected separately, and the mixture was controlled by an altimeter, which meant that the air-fuel mixture would be automatically adjusted if you went up in altitude mm. from sea level. Yeah. An incredible car at the time. So I would have one of those. They're now a million dollars plus. Oh, so. I know. Yeah, they become very, very expensive. <laughs> I've had the luxury yeah. of driving one, and what amazed me is having driven old many old cars like I have is how modern the car felt when I drove it. It's just a rock-solid yes. machine. Yeah. Oh. And it was comfortable because the German guys, the guys at Mercedes-Benz, they wanted the driver to be comfortable enough to compete in a race. And the, the seating position was, was perfect. It was like a dining room chair tilted backwards. <laughs> yes. uh, you could drive this thing all day and climb out and not feel, not feel strained or tired. Yeah, wow. Well, no dropped pizzas when it comes to the 300 SO going. No, that's no, for sure. <laughs> and the car encloses itself. It looks like it all belongs to itself. It doesn't have any gaping back end or rocket nozzles or anything. Yeah. It's just a, a very complete ovoid, multiple ovoid volumes. And it's a beautiful piece of stuff. What color would you like yours to be? Well, the same color I had, sort of a silvery blue-gray. Okay. Nice, nice. All right. Well, that, that was the color. The color I had to paint it all three times. When I first bought it, it had the Mercedes Benz silver, which was organic, mm -hmm. and it, they tend to get to to get to, to brown. Oh. So I had to repaint it. Uh, don't tell purists this, but I had <laughs> I to repaint it the Chevrolet Division color that was that light silvery blue gray. It was a beautiful color on that car. Well, we'll keep that secret to ourselves. <laughs> Well, not anymore. <laughs> well, not anymore, but that's okay, because if you thought it looked good, Sid, it looked good. I guarantee you. Well, Sid, you've taken me on an incredible ride today. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I want to thank you for sharing your incredible automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you head off into the sunset in that 300 SL Gullwing? Well, yes. Always do your best, because you never know who's going to see it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And is there a, a good way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing these days? Our Facebook and website, we always have there the latest thing, what we're doing, where we're going, and where we've been. So the website, www.sidmead.com, and our Facebook page. Awesome. Great. Well, listeners, 
You can find links to all of these great resources on Sid's show notes page. Again, at the Carjow website. Obviously, everybody out there has heard of you, Sid. They know who you are. But for those of you that might be young that need to uh, get caught up here, check out what Sid's career has been about, what this guy does. You're going to be blown away. Absolutely spectacular. Sid, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your lifetime experiences with me and the listeners. It's been a true delight. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Hands on the wheel. Absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you in your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.